Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, from the team that brought you the Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Zach Glazer. And this is episode 492 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Stephanie talks with Paco Roman about applying a change management framework when you're implementing changes with your team. So Stephanie, we are hosts on a podcast. Our voice is out there in the ether, in the internet, in the RSS feeds, all of that. And that comes with a interesting side security issue, uh, let's say, especially in AI. Like as AI products and deep fakes have come about and have become really easy to use, we've had to start thinking about phishing attacks that are coming a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy now for lots of people to, I guess, imitate, duplicate. What's the right word? Replicate your voice. Fake. Yeah. Yes, fake yeah. your voice. And so let's just be clear. My mom, I love her, but if she got a voicemail that sounded like me saying, send me money, I'm stuck mm-hmm. somewhere like she just would. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. we created, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because she loves me and yeah. she's not always as, she's trusting. How about that? She is too trusting. Yeah. So now we have special passwords with everyone in my family, all the different family members mm-hmm. that if I was really hurt or anyone in our family needed something, we would say this very specific word that obviously I'm not going to say now. <laughs> <laughs> that might defeat the purpose. Yeah, probably. Yeah. probably. But you won't guess them. They're pretty imaginative, um, <laughs> but also easy for our family to remember. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, hey, and it just makes sense. Like, if I don't tell you the secret password, then do not send any money. Do not do anything else. And, you know, I think that now also the same is true for our team members, because right. apparently somebody you think, I mean, somebody texted you yesterday, mm-hmm. signed it. It's, it's always funny because these text messages are signed Stephanie Everett. And it's like, mm-hmm. Zach, I need you to do something for me. Please sign Stephanie Everett. And luckily, you know, right. I'm not that big of a dork <laughs> that I sign my text messages, my full name. Yours truly, Stephanie Everett. Yeah. Oh, it, you know, the other thing, though, is that those text messages to me come through a different channel than we usually communicate. But, I, you know, getting the first one of those, I just sent you a Teams message. I think we might have been on Slack at the time, but I sent you a Slack message that was like, hey, I don't think this is you, but I'm just checking to make sure, which a lot of times is the way that we kind of defend against these phishing attacks currently, because you you get an email from somebody, you get an email from your boss and it says, hey, urgent, I need, you know, 15 Apple gift cards, yes. $50 each. And, you know, I, I need you to do it now because the judge is ticked or something. Well, you just use a different method of saying, hey, how do you want these? Right. And then they go, what? Okay, that was fake. But we now live in a world where not only can people fake your voice, but they can, you know, we can fake 
your image as well. But if you get a call in your office, you know, you're, you're an assistant, you get a call in your office from one of the attorneys that says, I need you to transfer this money to this client. This client is ticked. They are really mad. I need you to do it now. And here is the bank account. I need you to wire it. Go, go, go. You know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, so you won't be able to reach me. Uh, that's going to get some people. Yeah. And I think it's okay now to go ahead and tell your team, like, I will never be upset with you if you respond mm-hmm. to me in a way that that I know is a secure communication and ask me, like, mm-hmm. can you just confirm the message you just sent me on wiring money to a client or sending gift cards to somebody or whatever it is? Because mm-hmm. I shouldn't be upset by that. But, right. you know, let's just go ahead and make it like very clear to our team, like you will never upset me. And in fact, the protocol is that you will confirm those requests via, you know, some different method. Right. And you can you can state that method. At the same time, you can say, if we do that, ask me what the password is, wh- whatever. But a lot of these things have to be thought of before the fact. You can't sit there and say, well, how do I how do I make sure this person is real? if we haven't created some sort of mechanism for that. Yeah. I think it requires us to be creative. You know, we do this exercise at LabCon where I challenged everyone, if somebody wanted to steal money from your law firm today, what Mm -hmm. would they do? Mm -hmm. And we had some really creative ideas because unfortunately we have to think like the bad guys in order to stay vigilant. And that's not something that we're sitting around thinking about all the time. Like I'm not thinking about how people can you know, fake my voice and call you or clone a text message or Facebook. You know, I, it's my pet peeve when people say they've been hacked and I'm like, you weren't hacked, you were cloned. (laughs) But. Right. But, you know, and frankly, that might even be uh, an interesting thing for your team to do one Friday afternoon. You know, your team's been working their rears off and you're trying to give them something a little bit fun to do. And you say, all right, let's steal money from the company. You're not going to get in trouble. How would you do it? <laughs> yeah. And and maybe have a little gift card or just have some fun, you know, just make it fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anytime we can gamify things, I'm all for it. So I think that yeah. is a great way to incentivize the team and keep everyone aware, mm-hmm. I think is the biggest thing. If you're not thinking about this right now, you should. Right. Absolutely. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, Luckily, we've got some other things to think about. And here is my conversation with Joyce Brafford and Stephanie's conversation with Paco Roman. Hi, Zach. I'm Joyce. As always, it's great to be with you. I am a practice management and legal tech junkie. I am also (laughs) in enterprise sales and partner relationship management for Profit Solve, which is a company that sells lots and lots of software to lawyers. Lots of software to lawyers. In fact, you and I just saw each other at Tech Show where Profit Solve broadly had an entire aisle of booths. And just to kind of reiterate the legal tech nerd and process nerd that you are, that's what we talked about at, at Tech Show. <laughs> we, we talked about how to ask people specific questions on getting them, you know, put into the right practice management software. So that's just, true. just so people know, that's what Joyce and I talk about in our spare time with each other. 
That's right. Even when we're not on the air, even when we are not doing this for our actual jobs, we are still talking about this topic. So if you're wondering if it truly is interesting and if we do really, really love it, the answer is yes. It is. Well, so this time we're talking Cosmolex and Cosmolex for the the uninitiated is an all-in-one practice management solution and is truly an all-in-one. It is soup to nuts. But what does that mean for people that aren't super familiar with Cosmolex? Yeah, great question. So all in one for the purposes of this conversation means it is the software that you need to not only run the front end of your business, but also the back end. So Mm -hmm. when you think about law practice technology and the software you're using, you probably think about your time and your billing and maybe even your trust accounting all in one place. But that's really just your front end office. You also Mm -hmm. need to think about what your bookkeeper, your accountant, your CPA, all of those folks need to look at. And what that encompasses is your back office processes, Mm -hmm. your accounts payable, your taxes. You need to think about how you're cutting checks, right? It's not just where lawyers are putting their time in. And that's really what sets Cosmolex apart in the market. It truly is an Mm -hmm. all-in-one, as you say, Zach, a soup to nuts solution. And one of these days, we're going to have a separate podcast on where these idioms like soup to nuts come from and what that actually means. But yes, (laughs) Cosmolex is an all-in-one solution. So what is it? And there are a couple of other all-in-one solutions out there. And I guess I just want to reiterate what we mean at least in this case by that is like, you don't have to integrate with QuickBooks if you don't want to. You don't have to go to a separate, you know, product. So what is it that Cosmolex's kind of accounting expertise does for lawyers? Oh, thank you for that clarifying point, Zach, because I say all in one. And that really is the you know, internal lingo that we use here mm-hmm. at Cosmolex. But you're absolutely right. What this truly means is you don't need QuickBooks or any other accounting software in order to run your practice. And so what that means is directly within Cosmolex, you're writing your checks. Directly within Cosmolex, right. you are reconciling your bank accounts. Directly within Cosmolex, you're looking at your general ledger and you're mm-hmm. able to see how much money you have, yes, in your trust account, but also in your various operating accounts, your credit card accounts, any other bank accounts that you might have for your business. Everything is there and it gives you the full financial picture in that one system. Mm -hmm. And importantly, the overlay here, the upshot, why does that matter? It means you're not having to put data into systems. You're not having to reconcile multiple systems against each other. You're not having to worry about if one system is correctly syncing with another because it is one system. It truly is all in one. And it is the only tool you need for your time and your billing and your front office matter management and your back end financial management of your firm. So it's law firm software and business software all in one. Right. And so just to drive the point home, we're talking Cosmolex uses a program or an integrator like Plaid and actually pipes your feed from your online bank account into Cosmolex. Mm-hmm. So we're not going through something else. We're not uploading you know, your transactions or having to double enter your transactions or go in and have one of your assistants you know, put in what you've done for the day. That's right. It brings that into Cosmolex and truly makes that the one-stop shop for what your accounting is doing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that back office piece, that matters a whole lot. But for most of us, when we think about 
that QuickBooks integration and when it fails for folks, it's Mm -hmm. when you have to go back and correct an invoice. It's when you need to go back and make a journal entry or take money that was incorrectly deposited into either your operating or your trust and put Mm -hmm. it in the correct account. And very frequently that's happening on your books side, right? That's happening in your accounting software. And that information is then not ported back over into your practice management software. And that then creates an inaccurate record of the transactions that your clients have made. So from a professionalism perspective, an all-in-one solution can be extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. From your staff back-end perspective, oh man, it saves so much time and it makes their lives a lot easier. Uh, And I'm a a huge fan of anything that makes your bookkeeper's life easier because if, if they can help you make more money instead of fixing their errors, or fixing your errors, (laughs) then we're all winning, right? Then we're all winning. It has been three years since I've really been practicing law and in the middle of it. And I feel that. I Mm -hmm. feel that pain of having to say, this is a thing that doesn't quite sync between Mm -hmm. the books and my my stuff. So, and I, I think importantly, the upshot here, again, I always harp on this with Cosmolex, is that means you can run reports against this information. That's right. And they're going to be accurate. So if you need to know how much money you have, if you need to know which practice areas are the most productive, if you need to understand which clients are your most productive, if you need to understand where you need to spend some time collecting your billables, right? Mm -hmm. If you need data about your firm, then you need a system that's going to give you accurate reports. Otherwise, you are driving on a dirt road in the dark without headlights. So <laughs> let's um, let's turn some headlights on, folks. Right. Let's try not to hit any deers out there, y'all. Right. <laughs> uh, well, Joyce, I always appreciate you being here and talking legal tech with me. Where can people find more information about Cosmolex? Yeah, easiest place to, to go is Cosmolex.com. And that's Cosmo, like space, Lex, mm-hmm. like law, Cosmolex.com. You can get started right there. You're welcome to have a free trial, folks. There's no credit card or mm-hmm. anything required. Just test it out. See if it works for you. You should always do that with any software you're evaluating. Right. And you can find any of our brands, Cosmolex included, at ProfitSolve.com. And that's ProfitSolve with no E at no the e. end. ProfitSolve.com. And you can take a look at everything that we do. Fantastic. Well, Joyce, again, thank you for being with me and I look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you so much, Zach. Always a pleasure. Hi, I'm Paco Roman. I am a coach with Affinity Consulting. I've been with Affinity for a short while, but I've been coaching for over 10 years, as well as leading organizational development teams in major corporations for the last 15 to 20 years. My background's in education, learning, and development, organizational development. I specialize in uh, in leadership development and coaching executive leaders. Well, hello, Paco. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It occurs to me that we talk a lot on our show about change. We're always telling our leaders what they should change and how they should change and why they should change. And, and a lot of people listen and say, yeah, I need, a, I need a vision. I need values. I need to do all these things. I need to create processes in my law firm. But the idea of, of how we actually get our teams and our people to change with us is actually not something we talk about very often. And you are qualified to do it. So let's dig in. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. And you're right. I think we we spend a lot of time focusing on the what of the change 
and preparing people within the organization to execute on the change, whether it's a, a process change or a software implementation or an organizational change, right? But what we very often fail to do is prepare the organization for that change. And when you fail to do that, you basically, you know, in many instances, get individuals who are going to dig their heels in because they're not bought in. They don't have skin in the game, or perhaps there hasn't been executive buy-in for that particular change. Whatever that is, there's something on the front end that's missing that prevents an organization from executing on the change. And then you know what happens, right? Then they start blaming it on training. Right. <laughs> the leaders say, well, we need more training. Wait, let's get them. They're just not trained enough. They don't know it. Hmm. Yeah, they probably do know it. They just don't want to do it. Yeah, I guess like at the heart, you know, some people may be saying, yeah, I've got some team members that I don't think they want to do it. Is it even possible to get people to change and to get people to do something different at work or engage differently? Yeah, well, you know, you, you have to ask yourself, what do you need to change your behavior? Right. So Stephanie, what do you need when, when, when you have something new in your life? What is it that compels you to make that change? I mean, obviously different, I mean, lots of things were coming up in my head. I was like, do I know the why? Do I know the how? There's a little bit of a competitive nature in me. So anytime something can be gamified, like I'm more likely to do it, I think. Yeah. Part of that is, is the why, right? And that's, that's a major that's a major hurdle to get everybody on the same page for around that why. That's called desire. What is the desire to participate and to support the change? Without having that in place, without having articulated that effectively, it's challenging for an individual to engage, right? Then the next question is, well, how do I, how do I get there? How do I build that desire? And it doesn't happen overnight, right? It just doesn't, you know, I've been wanting to change the way I eat for a long time <laughs> and it doesn't happen overnight. What, what ends up happening is that, uh, you know, you get the doctor saying your cholesterol is a little high or you get somebody else telling you that your blood pressure is high or whatever, whatever the issue is. There's things that are put in front of you that help to build that awareness for the change, the need for that change. So there's a phase before desire that we need to make sure that leaders are are telling the story for why this is important they're building that awareness of the need for that change they're defining the success they're defining the impact maybe they've even defined the approach and i can share what that's going to look like but that transparency that ongoing dialogue that's required is going to bring more people on the boat and rowing in the same direction without that Again, we don't want to skip all these steps. And, and this, there's, there's multiple change management methodologies out there. The one that I tend to follow is, is the ProSci ADCAR model. And what I'm basically outlining is that ADCAR model for individual change, for the people side of change. And again, the front end of that is awareness. And yeah. then you move into that phase of desire. So in the awareness phase, it's important for the leader I'm hearing to articulate the message. And I always say that we're like the chief reminding officers because it's not enough to say it once. You probably have to say it so many times you're sick of saying it and then you need to say it like 50 more. Yeah. 
I like what you said, the chief. That's really important. The question that they have to be able to answer is, what are we trying to achieve with this change? And then how is that going to impact you and the organization? Will you need to be doing your job differently? Is that going to be an impact? If so, again, I might be digging my heels until I feel better about how my job is going to change. What am I going to be doing day to day? Until I have that defined impact as a recipient of the change, I'm not going to be on board. So as a leader, I have to have that vision laid out. I have to be able to articulate that. And that requires thoughtfulness Yeah. on the front end. How important is it that the leader have it all figured out? Because sometimes you know you want to make a change and you maybe have a few steps. You know, is it important that the other team members are participating in those decisions or, or does it vary? No, you know, I, I was once told a story, a gentleman by the name of Rock Pereira. He's, he was a professor at, oh gosh, I forget the, the school, Penn. I believe it was UPenn. But he talked about strategy and he talked about the idea of optionality within a strategy. And he told the story about 1492 Columbus is, is on the docks and he's planning a trip, right? And he says, well, I need supplies. I need to be able to make sure that we've got enough supplies, but I don't really know where the heck I'm going right now. I just know I'm going west. So he grabs a guy that's looking for a job and he says, get me supplies. And the guy says, well, where are we going? He says, I don't know. We're going west. So Columbus walks away and the guy goes out and starts filling up the stores. And he says, well, I don't know if it's going to be cold or hot. So what do I need? Oh, if I get a blanket, the blanket could keep us warm or it could shade us if it's too hot. I know we need some general staples, water, food, et cetera. But all the other things, there's options. And being able to plan with optionality is really the premise of the story. So do leaders have to have that mapped out from Europe to the new world? No. They know the general direction. They've set the vision and they've got a general plan for how to get there. But they have to be astute enough to know that if the plan isn't working, to be able to have an option. So thinking through those options is the key. Because if you don't think through those options, what ends up happening is you implement the change. It's not going well. You cut bait and you put in another change. That's not going well. You cut bait again. And that starts to create chaos. And it starts to create a lot of questions by the organization about the leadership and their ability to strategically think through and execute against the vision. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think I've seen that. So you were starting to lay out this framework, and I think the A is awareness. And then what's the next step? Once our team is aware of where we're going and maybe understands those options, we may not have it all figured out, but at least we know some, what would come next? Yeah. So the next thing is really about desire, right? Again, this is the ad car model for, for change. And it's, it's, the company is ProSci. They've got a tremendous amount of training around this. But again, the next step is around desire. And it's, are you in a position to participate and support the change, right? Again, the way that you get to that is in this first sort of phase, you've, you've defined success. 
The leadership has defined success. They've defined the impact and they've got a general idea of what the approach is. And they're articulating that. There's a stakeholder that's articulating that. Leadership is all in line. The message is the same. And once you get there, then you could start moving into the knowledge piece, right? The K in ADCAR, which is on how to change, mm. whether it's training on a new platform or new process or understanding where you fit in to a new organizational structure, right? So this is the cognitive piece, whether it's building a knowledge or building a new skill, that's when it happens. It can happen before desire and awareness, but it's not going to be effective because we'll have to go back probably in multiple instances, retrain, because if I don't internalize the change, I'm not going to be focused on the knowledge building or the skill development. I'm just going to go through the motions. Yeah. And you were sharing with me before that most companies just start with the training and it's like, Hey, you actually kind of started in the wrong step. <laughs> You're halfway yeah. through. You got to go back. Yeah. A, a lot, <laughs> a lot do. And I mean, you know, I think everybody has a positive intent, right? They all want to be successful in whatever change initiatives. But I think the easy thing to do is to train. It's the easy answer, right? Let's get the training, right? Let's get the, you know, five hours of e-learning and let's do the offsite. And you know what? Send out a message. This is why we're doing it. Put it on the website and get everybody on board, right? That's what we'd say. We got to get everybody on board. There's a lot more to it than that. That awareness and desire is so critically important. But yeah, a lot of organizations will discount that for expediency. And they'll tend to realize it after the fact that they've made a mistake because they're having to go back and retrain or they're asking the question, why isn't this sticking? Why hasn't the change taken effect? What's preventing us from accelerating, right? Yeah. And so then if we've done those things right way and then we've trained and we give that knowledge base, is that enough? Are we done? Well, you know, that, then, then you've, you're getting into the ability piece of it, right, of, of that ADCAR model. And that's, that's the actual implementation of the desired skills and behavior. So this is when you're actually getting into the managing of the change, right? You're tracking performance. You're making some adaptations along the way. And again, the questions here are based off of what we're seeing, you know, kind of going back to your earlier question, can we make changes after the changes already happened? Yeah. Based off of what we're seeing, what adjustments do we need to make? Are there other actions that are needed or required? How do we continue to track success? How are we doing? Right. This is, I think, where people feel most comfortable because this mm -hmm. is, you could start to see it through metrics. You could start to see it through reporting. But I think the important question to ask that a leader should be asking themselves in this ability piece, in this active change management, is really around supporting the people, equipping and supporting the organization. What do we need to do to continue to prepare, equip, and to support the organization? And I think if, if the leaders ask themselves those questions, look at the metrics, then they can start figuring out whether they're on track or whether they need to make the necessary changes. And again, this is all tied to 
is the organization performing? Are they implementing the desired change? Are they showing up with the right skills and the right behaviors? If not, take a step back. What are we missing? That's where the metrics start to come into play. Yeah, and it seems to me there's even like some logistical things as leaders we can do along the way. What comes in my head while you were talking is like feedback loops. Like, how are we listening? Mm -hmm. How are we asking questions as we're now starting to implement and making sure like it's not just it's not just now we're done. It's like, what's working and how are we getting that information so we can make those adjustments, which could be from the data, but also could be from the team itself. Like, are you asking them, hey, is this making your life better or worse? And I think sometimes we forget that we need to continue to engage in those conversations. Yeah. Well, it's the ongoing dialogue. Absolutely. And and again, think back to the analogy of the ship, right? The captain's on the ship, Columbus is on the ship, and, 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 and they're looking west. All of a sudden, it gets cold. That's data. That's information. You're going to change what you're doing. Maybe it's too hot. Maybe, maybe they're running out of food. You're going to change based off of the situations that you see in front of you. And that's, that's where managers play such a key role, being able to observe, measure, report, and then react. And I, I think too often, what ends up happening is, again, we get set on the one plan and come hell or high water, we're going to stick to that plan. And the data is coming in and there's a, there's a courage that's required by a leader to say, let's stop for a moment. This isn't going quite the way that we had planned. Let's take a couple steps back and make sure that we're doing this the right way because the data is showing us something different. It doesn't mean that they're going to completely cut bait. Maybe the change hasn't had enough time to take effect. Maybe the, the skills haven't been built up to the certain level yet. Maybe we didn't do a good job at measuring the desire of the organization to change, right? So you would go back and evaluate the first phase of this change where we define success and impact and approach to determine whether or not we continue down this path or whether or not we need to think of, of what our options are to adjust accordingly while still moving forward. Yeah. And so just to kind of close out the loop, I feel like there was one last letter we haven't hit. Am I right? Yeah, that's, an R? That's, yeah it's the R, right? That's, that's <laughs> okay. around reinforcement, right? That's, that's how you sustain the change. And it goes back to reviewing performance and eventually moving it from a change initiative to an operational process that's embedded within, within the team, right? So we're looking at team and individual and organizational performance. Where are we and are we done yet? Yeah. We're looking at what else is needed to ensure that the change is actually sticking, right? Are there any gaps? Are there any new roles that we need to bring into the organization to ensure that this change is actually sticking and moving forward? And then we've just implemented a new software. Who owns that, right? The way that we sustain and we reinforce and we, we keep the change moving forward, again, is around these, these three areas of reviewing performance, of activating the change itself through you know, various roles or identifying gaps that might exist. And then finally, transferring the ownership. It's gone from a change initiative to an organizational process that can then get evaluated 
through the regular performance life cycle of the organization. Yeah. And so, I mean, you kind of hinted at this, but just to be clear for people listening, this is a process that you can use, I imagine, like throughout your organization with any kind of change. So we gave the example of implementing new software. And I know we just had a show about that, like picking new software that comes up, but it applies in other situations too. Can you give us like a really different kind of an example? Yeah. So, I mean, think about a performance management life cycle. Organizations have typically done performance management on an annual basis. And now, uh, now the organization wants to, so this is a process thing, right? Now the yeah. organization wants to do semi-annual or quarterly performance reviews. So awareness, why do we need to change? Well, it's going to give us a better view as to how you're progressing in your career and how you are delivering on your commitments. Desire, how do I participate and support the change? Well, you have to be engaged. And as a leader, I have to engage you. So there's going to be some change around how that happens, whether it's, you know, doing regular one-on-ones, whether it's providing coaching, whether it's doing, you know, weekly check-ins, whatever that is, I've got to be able to build the desire in you so that we can have these quarterly performance reviews. Knowledge. What do I need to know about a performance review? Well, you have to know the questions that I'm going to be asking you. You have to have goals set up and we have to be talking about perhaps your strengths, your areas for development. Ability, I'll be providing feedback. You'll be providing feedback for me. There's a a mutual exchange of expectations that will help me and you implement the desired behaviors because it's not just up to you. It's up to me as your leader to ensure that you have what you need to perform and, and move forward. And reinforcement to sustain the change. That is built into that performance development cycle, right? We're talking on a regular basis. So just by implementing the change itself, that helps to reinforce the behaviors of continuous dialogue, mutual expectations, regular feedback, check-ins, whatever those behaviors are that the organization wanted to implement. So that's a quick off the top of my head example of how you might put that in for a performance management cycle. You could do that with your kids. Yeah. Right. You could do that with your with within your family. Applying this simple model when anything needs to be adjusted or something new is coming into the system, whether that's a personal or professional system, it gives you a path to check on yourself and to determine whether or not you've done everything you could to set yourself up for success in a changing environment. Yeah. I like it. All right. I got homework for, for the supper table tonight. I'm going to tell my family (laughs) we're going to change something. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's shift gears for just a minute. I mean, this has been incredibly helpful because like I said, we're always talking about you need to change, but getting our team on board can be so challenging. But as we wrap up, because our time's almost up and I know we could talk about this for a while. One of our values around here is stay curious, as you know. And so sometimes I like to ask guests, what are you currently working on or learning in your life or professionally or personally that you might want to share with us? Yeah. You know what? I just picked up a new book around emotional intelligence mm. and I began reading it on a recent trip. It's, it's Emotional Intelligence Habits. It's by uh, Travis Bradbury. And 
it's a little bit different than other emotional intelligence books because this one actually has some at the end of each chapter he basically goes and and he lists out some really simple steps to help drive and build and continue to nurture one's emotional intelligence it is about habits i find it really so far i've only gone through i think seven or eight chapters extremely practical in how it's written and i find it that it in its practicality it's obviously going to be easy to execute for me it'll be easy to execute some new habits along the way it's an interesting read so far oh nice i love that i'll check it out i haven't read that one Well, Paco, thanks for being with us today. It's been awesome talking to you and learning about how we can have a framework to actually move our teams through change, which is still going to be challenging, but at least now we're going to be one step closer. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10 minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.